Well, it's good to be back here. After last week, Debbie and I were gone, and uh, it's always good to come back to, to our home church, Cedar Home. But that, it's interesting at the church that we were at, um, last week they wanted to share with the congregation that they had incontrovertible truth that June 30th had passed, and so the, that line of demarcation between COVID and non-COVID, and they felt that there was only one way to prove that, and, and he said, he held, and he held up a Costco sample. <laughs> this is proof, he said. We have made progress. It's pretty funny. But it is good to be back here, and to see the sanctuary fill in again with the chairs and not have to worry about distances and things like that. Um, we are in the book of Hebrews, a little bit farther than the middle of the book, uh, in chapter 7 today. So if you have a Bible, um, turn to chapter 7 in the book of Hebrews. We'll be looking at verses 11 through the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through the rest of the chapter. Um, Father, we just... Um, I don't know, I heard one guy say once when he preached on a, a big subject that it was like trying to hug a whale. That's kind of how I feel when I get into some of these enormously wonderful and meaningful passages. I'm like, I'm trying to hug a whale. It's so big and uh, so, so powerful and so meaningful. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that through your, your power and your ability that you would just, I, I want you to rest on these people and on me for what all this means, that we go out of here thinking, oh, that's what that means. That's what it means to me. That's what you wanted to tell me when I came in here today. And I have it now, and I'm gonna use it this week for your glory and my blessing. Lord, may that happen. May it really happen. And uh, we just thank you for your word and for uh, blessing us now in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to share a story by a guy by the name of Steve Cole, who I've been using as one of many that I've been using for research for these sermons. And the story goes like this. In 1903, uh, someone noticed a Russian sentry standing guard at a post with no apparent reason for his being there. And when asked why he was standing guard there, he answered, I'm just following orders. The question was asked of the captain of the guard, but he didn't know why that sentry was posted there. The inquiry eventually went up the chain of command to the czar, but he didn't know either. You know, he asked that someone would track down the answer, and finally it was discovered that in 1776, Catherine the Great had planted a rosebush there, and there posted a sentry to guard the rosebush. The bush had been dead for over 80 years but the sentry was still standing guard. Traditions are really hard to change, aren't they? <laughs> they really are. Uh, he comments on this, he says, religious traditions are especially hard to change because people insist that God ordained them. I've seen some traditions uh, called ordained of God that had, were nowhere near the Bible, but we all have. Um, the Jews rightly believe that God had ordained the traditions and practices of the Mosaic Law almost 15 centuries before the time of Christ. The law was the very center of the Jewish culture. They ordered their lives around the Sabbath worship and the yearly feasts. 
The priests and Levites oversaw and regulated the worship at the temple. The sacrifices and rules for ceremonial cleansing were all spelled out in the law. These laws and traditions were deeply entrenched, deeply entrenched. And so the author of the Hebrews has a formidable task in trying to convince his Jewish Christian readers that the law and the Levitical priesthood that was inextricably linked to the law were now obsolete and set aside because of a far better new covenant and priesthood of Jesus. He makes some radical statements about the law. The law is weak. It's useless. It made nothing perfect. Because of these problems, it has been changed and set aside. He is drawing a distinct dividing line between Judaism and Christianity. And really, religion, all religion, and Christianity. You can't blend the two into a homogenous hybrid. He doesn't want his readers to go back to the old Jewish way as if it were good enough. Eventually, if they suffer persecution for their faith, they must persevere because Jesus has provided, quote, a better hope through which we draw near to God. Hopefully you remember two weeks ago when we talked about that. Now this story of the century um, and the commentary after it illustrates the whole reason for this passage today. It really does. It's, it, if you can get that, you can get the whole passage. Christ, as our perfect, all-powerful divine priest, has given us the riches of his love and life Absolutely free. No cost. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You don't get a Bible degree for it. Christ's love and his life, the new covenant, him coming to live inside of us is absolutely free. Can I get a middle of July amen off of that? Oh, thank you very much. You are with me. Um, I guess back to my quote here, my own words, I guess you could say, is that what, what Jesus gives us for free far surpasses what the Levitical priest could do for the Jewish people, and really any religious figure can do for any people apart from Jesus. Don't forget that. There are a lot of religious figures that are speaking in the name of Jesus to add a lot of works and a lot of tasks and a lot of this and a lot of that to make your faith valid. Nothing has to make your faith valid other than Jesus, okay? And so, what is he doing here? In this passage, the writer, because we still don't know who it is, maybe we'll know by the end of the book, but he explains to us thoroughly in this passage with the underlying motive of trying to convince his readers to stay the course, stay the course, continue, because there's nothing better than Jesus, nothing better than Jesus, so why go back on him? And so the title of the message today is, and it, I think it came out this way by the Holy Spirit, I believe, to me, because it has to be accentuated for us today, and that is this, the power of a perfect priest. The power of a perfect priest. And that's not just some religious figurehead or somebody way up on a pulpit somewhere. That's your priest, did you realize, brothers and sisters, that Jesus is your priest? He's your priest. Now, when I say your, I don't mean looking out and seeing the whole crowd as one group of people. And you're gonna find this out in our third point and third and last point today. Jesus Christ is, you ready? Your personal priest. 
Wow. Man, if that doesn't peel your potatoes, I don't know what will, you know? Okay, why is, why is Jesus such a powerful, perfect priest? What does it mean to us, okay? And so I wanna, I wanna go through three, three ways I believe this passage at least tells us uh, why Jesus is such a powerful priest or has such a powerful priesthood in our own personal lives, okay? And what I hope and pray is that you'll comprehend, along with me, that we'll both comprehend what this means before we walk out of here today. I, I, I would add, there's no greater pleasure for me than you to leave this church uh, with a deeper comprehension of who your personal priest is and why, Jesus Christ. Number one, Jesus um, ha- is our own personal and powerful priest because Jesus has liberated us from religious rule-keeping for righteousness. He has liberated us from religious rule-keeping for righteousness. And you say, well, that's kind of what, I, I already know that. Do you know that most of the world does not know that? And I'm talking about most of the religious world. The vast majority of the religious world cannot even relate to that statement. They can't. Because they have all kinds of things that they have to do and say, ways that they need to act to uh, um, experience God. We have a, a priest who has liberated us from religious rule keeping for righteousness. We don't have religion, we have what? Relationship. Relationship. Every single moment of every single day that God wants, that we want to have with Jesus, we have a relationship. And we don't have to obey rules to get into his good favor, as we sang about this morning. So let me read these verses in verse 11 through 19. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on that basis of it the law was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek? Not in the order of Aaron, For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation, as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect, and a hope for a better, and, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Why is Jesus such a powerful, perfect priest? Because he has liberated us from religious rule-keeping for righteousness. What we have is a, you know, it's too bad that it gets old saying this, but we have a relationship with God. I know you've probably heard that a trillion times in Sunday school and from the pulpit. But we we, we have a relationship with God. With God. He has put his indestructible life in us. Wow, pretty exciting. Um, and that's where, again, as I said, so much of the church gets it wrong. Rules, 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 rules. It's relationship, 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 relationship. Not rules. Okay. Now, rules have their place, but only as an offspring of relationship, not to establish the relationship. 
So let me summarize what the writer says here in these verses here that I just read. He's basically saying if the law would have done the trick to perfect us, you know, uh, the Ten Commandments and such, nothing else would have been needed. But after the fall, God's goal for us wasn't just to prop us up with religious rules to get back into his good graces. It wasn't just offering animal sacrifices until Christ returned, if you will, okay? He wanted to make us perfect. And when we get into chapter 10, you guys, you're gonna see something, at least for me, is, I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but it's the most, for me personally, one of the most important statements in all of the scriptures in chapter 10, verse 10. He has made, now listen, perfect forever those who have been made holy. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not really sure what's better than that. I'm perfect. And no, so are you in the eyes of the Lord. You're perfect. God didn't, God didn't give us rules to get perfect. He didn't give us animal sacrifices to be perfect. There, is, there are many religions that continue with animal sacrifices all over the world. Uh, he gave us perfection. Perfection, okay? That, uh, the word perfect here, if you want to use uh, a good definition, means righteous standing, completeness, permanent, full access to God. That's God's goal. If any man or woman be in Christ, they are a new what? Creation. You're a new creation. You said, man, getting out of bed this morning, I sure didn't feel like a new creation. But you are. You are. Reality tells you you're a new creation in Christ. And the only thing that you're waiting for now is your new body. That's what's coming. Okay? And the sooner the better, as far as I'm concerned. The law is flawed, the writer's saying. The law is flawed. And it's, when we talk about the law, the Ten Commandments and such, it's flawed, okay? Not in and of itself. Obviously, God's laws are holy and good, Paul calls them. But as far as getting us right with God, they, they're no good. They're no good. The harder you try to obey God's laws, the worse you're gonna do, okay? It's in terms of the flesh. What is it one guy said that we had took a Sunday school class years ago? He said, the Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. Don't try it. You know, you've seen those labels, do not try this at home or something. Don't. Don't even try to be a Christian on your own. Jesus has given us himself to do that. He's the law keeper. Matthew chapter 17 says, Jesus didn't come to, Jesus said, I didn't come to dismantle the law, I came to fulfill it. And then I came to live inside of you through the Holy Spirit. Such a deal. So much better than laws and rules. Okay, the law just manifests sin. It doesn't take it away, okay? I thought this was a great quote. You guys might like this. Dr. James Kennedy, anybody remember that guy? Yeah, me and you, that's it, okay. But, uh, you know, I was telling Dylan before the service, I gotta, I gotta update my quotes because <laughs> nobody's as old as I am here, you know? Okay, Dr. James Kennedy he said, I was once asked, why do bad things happen to good people? My answer is, they don't. Why? Because there are no good people. The perfect law condemns everybody to some degree or another. Some people, I will, I will grant you, some people are gooder than others. My wife is 
infinitely gooder than I am. I, I think she has a terminal disease called niceness. We marry opposites, don't we? <laughs> but anyway, he says, uh, my answer is they don't because there are no good people. The perfect law condemns them all. Some are gooder than others. But all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. You know the healthiest thing we can do here, everybody here, is just admit you've fallen short of the glory of God. If you do that, you'll be a pleasure to live with. But if you don't do that, you're a pain in the neck. I can work with anybody on planet Earth, but the person that will not admit that they are ever wrong. You with me? I didn't ask you to nudge your marriage partner. I just said, are you with me? It's true. And that's what this this writer is saying here. Um, The law can't satisfy God. The Levitical priesthood, he mentions that also in verse 11, is, was only a temporary thing, just to cover, uh, a temporary covering of animal sacrifices, blood sacrifices for our sins. It was a temporary atonement, okay, until one like the order of Melchizedek or the picture of Jesus that we had in chapter six comes along, Jesus, until Jesus comes along. This is gonna have to do. Okay, but once Christ offered that perfect sacrifice on the cross, we're free from sin and guilt. And, uh, and that's what he's saying. If the Levitical priesthood could have bought us perfection, then there would have never been Jesus having to come to this earth and die for our sins. And these Jews needed to hear that because they were starting to weaken. Okay, can I just say this too? Um, I think this is important to say. You know, I wish somebody would have told, told me this when I got saved. Well, actually, I found it out on my own, but there's a price to pay for being a Christian. You guys feeling that? There is a price to pay for being a Christian and for taking your stand for Jesus Christ. And that price is increasing all the time. And don't, don't, don't ever offer and don't ever accept someone saying, oh, being a Christian is the funnest thing in the world. I'll tell you, it's not fun at all sometimes because you're a salmon swimming upstream. But it's worth it. And he's trying to tell them that. Say, hey, don't, don't give up. You've got a way better system than religion and rules and, and atone, uh, sacrifices and all that. Okay, don't weaken. Okay, the good news he's telling them up in verses 12 through 19 is, is that you have a new relationship with the law. Now, I get excited about stuff that I expect you to get excited about. And, and it rarely happens. I don't know why, but I just, I've, I've thought about this all week long, but if, I want you to fake an amen for me, okay, in a minute. Um, Isn't it awesome that we now have a new relationship with the law of God by the indwelling law keeper, Jesus Christ? I just think that's so uplifting to me. That it's not up to me to um, fulfill God's commandments on my own. I come from that background. I understand it. It's it's labor intensive, okay, in the flesh. But he tells us in verses 12 12 through 19 here that when Christ comes to indwell us at the moment of salvation, ah, he begins to to obey the law in and for and through us. 
And probably the most important thing that we need to do when we get out of bed in the morning is to say, I'm not going to do it today. I'm just not going to do it. I'm sorry, I'm just not going to do it anymore. That's what we need to say. And then we need to shift responsibility over to Jesus Christ and by faith say, you do it in and for and through me. Because I can't parent I can't be a husband or a wife. I cannot be the employee or employer I need to be. I can't be working, I can't do anything with supernatural results if it's just me doing it. I can't resist sin. I can't resist gossip, lust, uh, a temper tantrum, uh, uh, jealousy, you name it. I can't do it. And that Jesus says, that's exactly the words I wanted to hear. And so the writer tells us the moment we got saved, there was a change that was made in verse 12. The word change in verse 12 means to put one thing in the place of another, to exchange something for something else, okay? It's a permanent replacement, not an enhancement. Thank goodness. Never think of our faith in Christ as an enhancement. It's not. We're not getting enhanced, okay? We're getting replaced with Christ, okay? That's, that's what it's about. The new covenant in Christ replacing the old covenant, okay? And the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus now sets me free from the law of sin and death. We're told that in the eighth chapter of Romans. And we're told here, it sounds a little mystical, but it's not at all, that Jesus comes from a different tribe than the Levites in verses 13 and 14. What tribe did Jesus come from? Anybody want to throw that out? The lion of the tribe of Judah. You know that nobody else was allowed to become a Levitical priest but a, a Levite? It was a lineal priesthood. It, you, had to, you had to be born in that family or you could not be a priest. Jesus was born from a different family and became the all-powerful high priest because he represents a new supernatural, eternal, non-Levitical tribe, the tribe of Judah. He's a different order of priest, okay? Jesus is the reality of the picture that we were given um, through Melchizedek back in the end of chapter six. He's eternal. He's everlasting. Never had a beginning, never had an ending. He offers us a supernatural quality of life. Ver this, verse 16 just nails it. The life that Christ gives us is called the power of an indestructible life. And yeah, our bodies are destructible. I feel it every day. Some of you do too. They're, in, they're, they're, just, they, they're, they're going by the wayside. But Christ's life is indestructible. And it's, it's kind of a wonderful thing to think I'm walking around with the power of an indestructible life inside of me. But that's what he wants us to know. Oh, he wants us to know that. Not just to yank one muddy boot out of the mud and plop it in front of the other through life and then grab another muddy boot, pull it out of the muck and plop it in front of us. No, he wants us to live in the power of his indestructible life, to know the value of what we have. I think, I really do, I think almost all church problems, and every church has them, could be solved by peop the people in the church knowing that they have the power of an indestructible life inside of them. I really do. 
I know that when I understand that, I'm walking with God the way I'm supposed to. And when I don't, um, we'll skip that part. But, um, so Jesus is the power of an indestructible life. John MacArthur, in one of his commentaries on this, says, a young woman had run up a lot of bills and charged far beyond what she was able to pay. She was in debt over her head and saw no way to get out. She was in trouble and the situation looked hopeless. Then a young man came along and fell deeply in love with her. And after some months, he proposed. She also loved him very much, but felt that she should tell him about her debts before she agreed to marry him. And when told, uh, he said, don't worry, I'll pay all your debts. Just leave them to me. And before the wedding, he gave her an engagement ring and reassured her many times that he would take care of her debts. She trusted him implicitly and knew he was a person of the word, and she had every reason to be confident and helpful, but she was not yet actually free of her debt and consequently could not be at peace about them. Finally, they were married, and he paid her debts. Not only that, he told her that he was wealthy beyond her wildest dreams and gave her a joint checking account with himself. And she would never again need to be concerned about debts. From that time on, she was secure in the riches of the one she loved and who loved her. That's how much better off a person is under the new covenant in Christ than the old covenant. In Christ, we're free from sin's debt. Okay, and we, but it's, that's, the, that's, that's, that's the, the negative part getting out of the way. The positive part is he puts all of his riches into our account. And now we're living, uh, we're receptacles, walking around with the power of an indestructible life. Oh, my goodness. The power of an indestructible life. Okay, and he was warning these Jews, and he's warning you and I as Christians, Live in the power of an indestructible life from the moment your foot hits the floor to the last, when your head hits the pillow. Live in the power of an indestructible life. That's what God wants for us. The church ought to be supernatural. Supernatural. And that's how it happens. You have a bunch of people living under the power of a supernatural, indestructible life. Now, I didn't say no problems. That's not going to happen. You know that. But the power of an indestructible life is how God wants you to live every day. It's yours. He married you. You're called the bride of Christ, right? He married you. He walked you down the aisle, people. He walked us down the aisle. He said, I do. I would have said, I don't, man. But he said, I do, I do, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I'm gonna come and live inside of you. And, and at the risk of sounding really, maybe I'm crossing the line here, but there are, well, it's the image of a wedding and a honeymoon, okay? Can I just say that? There's a loving intimacy between Jesus and me and you. A loving intimacy I mean, you read up in the latter chapters of the book of Revelation and how the church is called the bride of Christ, and you gotta, you got to think, this is pretty romantic. And that's how he, he, he walked you down the aisle. You, quit looking next to you. Don't look in front or in back of you. You got walked down the aisle by Jesus. And he's saying, why would you want to walk away from that? 
to get that, okay? It'd be like that aforementioned woman refusing to have her debt fully paid off and working as his housekeeper instead. No, I'm just your housekeeper, I'm just your housekeeper. No, you're my bride. I love you. I'll hire you 100 housekeepers. All right. Basically to say, through verses 18 and 19, um, the law can't cut it, can't cut the mustard. Just a bunch of rules, won't, won't work. Old covenant, the better hope is ours. No limitations. The better hope enables us to draw near in full, continual, righteous, indestructible, the indestructible power of Christ. Think about it. You. I'm looking around. I've seen so many people that look so different, so dressed in so many different ways. And some, have, some of you are wearing this kind of clothes and that kind of clothes. And it doesn't, this is all superficial. If you're a Christian, you have the power of an indes- the indestructible life walking around you in your receptacle. Spirit. Let's go to the second one. That, and that's why Jesus' um, uh, uh, priesthood is so powerful. He did that for you and me. He married us. Okay? Um, secondly, Jesus' priesthood is so powerful because um, it's backed by a divine oath. Now, this is a short one, but grab on, and then we'll, we'll go with our last point. But if you look at verse 20 and 22, and it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. It's just, it's just very simple here. Jesus' um, uh, indestructible power that lives within us came with an oath. Now, God didn't have to make an oath, right? Because if God says something, it's, it's a done deal. God made an oath based on the power of the eternal Christ for our sake. Uh, Because oaths, as we've talked about before, are a big deal. And so he made an oath because people lie and they are undependable. And they, uh, they lie and they're undependable, I'll just leave it at that, in the world. And so he says, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna guarantee you that the power of an indestructible life, an eternal priest, the guarantor of a better covenant, is yours today and every day. And isn't that just the, the oddest thing that you, anywhere, you can be putting, feeding a quarter or two into a parking meter somewhere and praise God for an indestructible life. Young moms, you can be changing a diaper and Thank God for an industry. You can be at work and just taking a breather and say, God, thank you for an indestructible, eternal, everlasting life inside of me. Okay? And it's a guarantee. I just didn't put a temporary little gas or vapor in you. I put the living, eternal Christ inside of you. You got married. And you can have that anytime you want. Now, who is our arch enemy that wants to blind us to this? Who is it? Don't ever, don't ever, ever forget that. Don't forget it. Because the devil will want to blind you to that awesome truth. But you have a, a, a guarantee 
that, that Christ is in you. It's kind of, how many, again, I'm aging myself. I gotta watch my illustrations, but how many remember before the time when there were extended warranties? You remember that? Come on, lift your hand. I, got, I don't wanna feel like the only old guy here, all right? Some of them are, they don't know. There's always been extended warranties. You know, you buy a fridge. We bought a freezer a couple years ago. It cost us 700 bucks. And, you know, then the first thing, what do they say? Well, for $1,400 more, you can buy the extended warranty. No, thank you. I'm from the generation that um, you made it, it should last, right? And then we bought our car. This is like, it's, we still call it our new car. It was like eight, nine years ago. And uh, first thing, you want the extended warranty? What for? It's supposed to run? No, we, well, just in case it doesn't run. I'm like, no, I don't want the extended warranty. The, the extended warranty is the law. It's religion. You got to keep re-upping all the time, right? But the lifetime guarantee is Jesus. You never have to renew. You never have to update your warranty because he's always there. Okay. That's what he says here. And it'll never change his mind. Last point. The third reason the perfect priesthood of Jesus is so powerful, and my goodness, I'm ashamed of myself. I'm getting done early today. I don't like that. <laughs> but anyway, I'll do it. Or I'll try to do it. Jesus, the reason that uh, the priesthood of Christ is so powerful, the, the power of Jesus as our priest, is because he's always there making intercession for us. Trippy. Think about this for a while. You'll put a smile on your face. Now, there have been many of these priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. In other words, the Levitical priests, the death rate among priests was one apiece. Okay? They all died. All right? But there, uh, now there have been, I'll just read it again. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Okay? Therefore he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Holy cow. Unlike a regular human Levitical priest who died, I, was, I read that there are between 83 and 300 Levitical priests from the time of the, uh, the building of the temple to uh, its destruction in AD 70. Seems like there'd be more than 300 after all those centuries, but I read it on the internet, so it's probably true, okay? I, but uh, all those guys died, but one didn't die. Who was he? Jesus Christ. Anytime we need a high priest, we just go Jesus. And he's, this is, this is just where you kind of just have to go kind of nuts on this because verse 25, therefore he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives. How often? Always, always lives to make intercession for them. Always. Not just sometimes. Well, get, not just get in line, take a number. When we call your number, come get your glasses. No, Always. Now, there's two things here. One is that this is talking about atonement, first of all, okay? We're told that in 1 John chapter 2, that he, that he 
advocates for us before the Father on the basis of his blood when we sin. We sin and Jesus goes, Father, there's, there's my sacrifice. And Father goes, okay, done deal. But most all commentators agree also that this is also Jesus. Are you ready for this? Praying for you and me. Now how does God pray for you always? I mean, how many Christians have there been throughout history? Would, would it be in the billions, do you think? Probably. How does he do that? That's pretty good. I think, this is my two cents worth, it's not worth much, but that Jesus is outside of time. Because I know what it says here. It says he, he, he always lives to intercede for them. And you say, well, do you have any other scriptures? I do. Romans 8, 26 through 28, the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. When we're in a pickle and we pray and we can't get the words out because we're hurting so much or confused, God the Father has a prayer meeting with the Holy Spirit inside of us. Now I'm guessing there's more than two Christians at the same time in our world that have that situation. So how does God do it? I think he's outside of time. And that's where I'm gonna leave it, okay? Because I really don't have a better explanation. But Jesus makes intercession for us, permanent intercession, permanent. So you, tomorrow, face a brick wall with a person, place, or thing, and you go, I don't know what to do. And Jesus says, give it to me, and I'll pray for you. I'll intercede for you at the right hand of the Father. You fail, you said something you should not have said. It got out of your mouth before you thought through it. And you say, Father, you know what I did. I'm, I admit it. He'll say, let me Jesus says, let me intercede for you. Boom, done based on my, my, my cross, okay? It's just an amazing thing. I hope that we walk out of here trying to really, how would I put it, utilize this. This stuff, can I just say this frankly? This stuff was meant to be utilized. Utilized. We are not in a religious. They're coming forward. As so, they're so moved at this point in time. They're coming forward. <laughs> he knows I'm getting to the end. I told him, like, please come up towards the end because we're going to sing a song. But this needs to be what? Utilized. Go back and read it and you think, is he really interceding for me now? Am I really married to Jesus do I have the power of an indestructible life in me? That stuff's almost too good to be true, but it's true. It's true. And God, God wants us to utilize it. Why? Because it tells us in verses 26 and following, because our high priest is one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all. Take it to the bank this week, you guys. Your sin and mine has already been covered past, present, and future. Utilize it. Bind the enemy. Because he wants, to, he wants you to think you're the, the worst failure on planet Earth. He does. Believe me, I know from experience. More than you can possibly imagine. 
what the devil wants to tell us every day. He wants us to forget this every day. So utilize it. Say, well, how do I utilize it? Well, realize that through what Christ has done, we are and always will be acceptable to God. Number two, realize that the blood of Christ enables us to always draw near to God at any time, any point in time, and realize that Christ always intercedes for us when we confess our sin, pleads his blood, the Father says, taken care of, cast into the depths of the sea, and he's praying for you now in eternity. I don't know what you came in with the church today, but whatever it is, Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you. He knows the concerns and struggles and needs you came in with this morning. And at the great altar of heaven, he's saying, uh, Father, uh, he or she needs my help. Uh, they have our forgiveness. Now they need our help. Avail yourself of these and utilize it this week. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. All right, let's stand and sing.